All right. Everybody ready to go today? It's the last Sunday of the year that we're going to be together on a Sunday morning. Moving into a union year, I'm so excited that we are crashing out this year with the birth of Jesus Christ celebrating that. Would you agree with me that isn't it the greatest thing that once we were lost and now we were found? I, I just, I love the fact that God grabs a bunch of people that are called misfits. I mean, that's really what we all are because of sin, because we've all broken God's law, but he pulls us out, he changes us, and then he says, now I'm going to set your place, set your life with me in the highest place. I'm going to set you in a place called heaven one day, but before you get there, I am going to infuse your life with me, and I'm going to put you on mission. I'm going to infuse your life with the Holy Spirit so powerful, things will happen in your life that I want to do that will change somebody else's life. You agree? So Christmas Eve service, we've designed these services for one reason, and that is to glorify and celebrate and be so thankful for him. Aren't you thankful that we're saved? Thankful that Jesus is the greatest gift given to all of humankind, and we celebrate that. So three services. We added one more service this year, believing that you're going to bring your friends, you can bring your family, people are going to come, and hopefully some will maybe get connected for the very first time that God loves you. He's massively in love with you, and he wants a relationship with you. So we have 3, 4.30, and 6 p.m. Now, we just want to encourage you, bring family, everybody. It's a, kind of a family service. Kids can come. We will have our nursery open, but this here what I ask you to do. I really want you to take some of these cards, and, and people that are in your life, they may, hey, I'd really like for you to come to a Christmas Eve service with us. We'll sit with you. It'll be such a, 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 a great experience for you and your family. Also, these are great to um, screenshot on your phone and just post these on Facebook, Instagram. Just get this out on social media. Let everybody know. You never know somebody scrolling through on their phone. You know, we should go to Christmas Eve service. Get in the Christmas spirit. Little will they know that they hopefully will be ambushed with the love of God and a whole new message for them about Jesus Christ. Amen? Oh, so Christmas Eve, we will see you all here. What time? 3, 4, 30, and 6, right? You got it. Good, good, good. I am so glad that God heard the cry of our heart, aren't you? And so we haven't, I think you would agree with me with our younger generation, meaning uh, our teens, um, there is some massive issues that they are dealing with. I, I, I kind of likened it to they are in our generation coming up behind us are in a free fall. They're struggling with things like drug, alcohol, bullying, social media problems, depression, anxiety, things that we all, you know, for some of us that are kind of, you know, in our 30s now, we dealt with those things back in the day in high school, but they are dealing with these things seriously on a level that is so different, so much more oppressive in my opinion, because the enemy really has gotten a stronghold with our younger generation coming up. We are so, the reason I bring that up is I just want you to know we are absolutely committed, not just with our words, but with our heart, with our passion, with the spirit, and with all of our money, everything, resources, to reaching a generation that is in a free fall. And so um, I'm, just, I'm just so glad we have a full-time uh, youth pastor. His name is Pastor Zach. I wanted, uh, if you're visiting with us or maybe just getting acquainted with us, I wanted you to meet him. And then he's going to bring up uh, our junior high director, Jonathan, and just share with you a little bit about why youth ministry is so important. Junior high, high school, and young adults. So Zach, would you share with us a little bit about just what's happening and your vision and what you want to see happen with our, our young people today? Totally. Awesome. So yeah, so I'm Zach. This is Jonathan. 
Um, so much happening in our student ministry. So just a little informational stuff first. Um, I put some of these flyers in the back over there. This just has all the ways, if you're a parent of a middle schooler or high schooler, um, this has all the ways to stay connected with everything that's going on. Because there's always a ton of stuff we're doing in student ministry. All of my contact info is on here too. So you can grab those in the back at Connection Point um, at any point before you leave today. And so um, just so you guys know, we are student ministries. We meet bi-weekly. We meet on Wednesday, which is kind of like our big celebration youth service. Um, it's much more focused on community. We have our life groups there, building friendships. All of our messages are topical. So our middle school meets from uh, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m., and our, junior, and our high school meets from 6 to 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. And we also meet on Sundays, and our Sundays is much more scaled back. Um, it's much more discipleship-focused, meaning that we just take a book in the Bible and go verse by verse, just kind of studying it and teaching students what it's like to study God's Word. Um, so, so much to say about what's happening in our student ministry. So much I could talk to you about right now in this short little time about everything God is doing, about how we have some of the greatest leaders um, that sacrifice so much of their time to serve with us um, and to serve students. But I want to just make this aware, kind of like what you were saying, Pastor Mike, as I really think the devil's getting a little too confident thinking that this generation is lost. Um, I looked up statistics just here in Orange County um, from ages 10 to 17, the death toll from uh, drugs and alcohol abuse rose up. 800% um, here in Orange County. And then another 120% on top of that the following year. And I'm sure statistics come out here for 2022, it's not getting any better. And we're seeing this happen in our own youth group. Um, kids who are struggling with suicide, kids who are struggling with, um, we're seeing the devil attack their understanding of what it means to know their identity is in God. Um, seeing an attack on the Bible as being an absolute truth, just so much happening right now. And so we have a vision of reaching 1% of just the neighboring middle schools and high schools in our, in our neighboring uh, city here in Orange County. Awesome. And that doesn't sound that ambitious. You're like, 1%, can we go for a little more than that? That equals out to hundreds of kids. And what we want to see is hundreds of kids getting connected through our ministry to be known, valued, and connected. Connected to each other, connected to the church, and ultimately connected to a relationship with Jesus. Um, and so I'm going to let uh, Jonathan share just a little bit about his heart and what he's seeing happen specifically in our junior high ministry. Jonathan, when I got here, was just an intern, or he was actually just a life group leader, got to come on as an intern with us under me and our student ministries. And now we get to bring him on as our junior high director to specifically serve in here with junior hires. How you guys doing? I'm Jonathan, the junior high director. Um, you guys all heard it. Zach's info is on that paper, so if you want to spam him, do it. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah. So, like Zach said, we're we're and and Pastor Mike, we we are our students are in a a free fall. It's that statistics. Excuse me. Um, are terrifying. They're like absolutely terrifying. So we really really want to come along your guys's children and your guys' nephews and nieces and all those kinds of things so that we can actually share the love of Jesus with these, these students and these people. Um, and it's been an amazing opportunity for us to be able to um, just kind of grow that ministry and grow both of those ministries and be able to actually reach full families from, from those students. So it's been, a, it's been an amazing opportunity, and I, I hope that it continues to grow and, and all those kinds of things. So thank you so much. So real quick before we jump off stage, I just want to let you guys know this is something that um, we need all of us contributing to this, meaning that if you're here this morning and you have a real relationship with Jesus, we would love for you to talk to me about what it looks like to serve with us and showing these students what a real relationship with Jesus looks like. And then, of course, what we're going to do right now is we're going to trust in what Jesus said. Right? Jesus told Peter, said, hey, Peter, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
And so we're gonna pray together. I'm gonna ask if you'll join me in prayer. We're gonna start with this. We're gonna believe in the power of prayer, that this generation is not lost, mm-hmm. that God has uniquely equipped us um, with an amazing opportunity to come alongside here in Orange County and South, in South Orange County to fight for these students. Um, and so if you guys will, let's join me in prayer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Father, we just humbly come before you right now. Lord, trusting, let's be just, as we just got to worship you, Father, and say, Lord, all glory goes to you, God. Uh, we just want to first thank you, Lord, that you have positioned us with this amazing opportunity, Lord, to fight for these students who are here, to fight for these students who the enemy is attacking, Lord. This is a war, and there is nothing that can stop us if you're on our side, God, and we acknowledge that. So we ask, Lord, that you bring the resources, you bring the people, Lord, and most importantly, fill us with your spirit, Lord, to do what you want to accomplish here in South Orange County in these teenagers' lives. And we say this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, also, guys. lastly, like I said, young adults, too. I do young adults. It's kind of a separate thing, but we're having our young adults Christmas party this Monday, tomorrow, here at Church at 630. So look for me, look for one of the guys on the camera. They're all in the group, and we would love for you guys to come out and hang out with us. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Her name was Julia. She grew up a uh, well-to-do family. Things seemed to be fine. Uh, when she went home after school, everything seemed to be fine. Family seemed to be in place, intact. A very loving home. Both parents were supportive. and um, Faith was kind of a thing on the side, but really wasn't the mainstay of their family. She kind of went uh, with her family to church on Christmas and Easter, kind of a thing. She came home one day, just like any other day after school, 17 years old, junior in high school, As she came home, she closed the door. Both her mom and dad were sitting on the couch. They were sitting on the couch. They called her other siblings into the room for a family meeting. She noticed as she looked off to the side of the couch, there were some bags that were packed. Her father stood up and said, I just want you to know I'm leaving you, your mom, for another woman. And as he picked up his bags and walked out of the front door, he turned around and said, I love you. This sent Julia into a free fall that she did not expect, she did not want, did not deserve. Confused, completely disoriented, angry, ticked off, frustrated, every emotion that you can even imagine. Maybe some of us have been through something like that. She began to get into drugs, alcohol, just messed up. She went in with one of her friends to a movie theater about three years later. As she was sitting in the theater watching the movie, it concluded. The lights came up. She looked over to her right, and she saw her father with his new family, holding hands with his new daughter. In that moment, she just... She ran out of the theater. Her friend who took her to that movie was a Christian and befriended her and loved her and wanted to just just be Jesus to her. In that moment when she was up in the lobby, literally just weeping and crying, holding up her fist to, if there's a God, why is this happening to me? That should have been, as she cried out, that should have been my hand. That should have been mine. That's my dad. She said, I really want you to come with me to church. I want you to come with me to our youth night. She ended up coming to youth because she had nothing else to lose. She was at the end of her rope. As she came to that youth night, long story short is she gave her life to Jesus Christ. 
as she met the pastor, the youth pastor there in that church. I'll never forget as I heard this firsthand as she said, I am so angry with my dad. I have nothing else to live for. The youth pastor was so full of wisdom and so full of compassion and climbing into her experience. He said, I, I understand. I, I understand how you feel. But then what he said is this. I know there is a God who's been through the pain of loss. And he loves you. I bring that up to say this. God, I believe, heard her cry heard her pain, heard her listen to her suffering, even when she had no clue that there was a God that loved her. He heard her cry. And I believe God met her in that moment, in that movie theater, in that lobby, for the specific purpose of wanting there to be fulfillment in her life that no one else could bring. That's why I I bring up, aren't you glad that God heard your cry? We are going to look in Luke 17 at some... 10 men who had a cry, who had absolute desperation, had no place else to go, but they heard that there was one who was coming to their unnamed village. Let's look in Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. What I want to talk about today is lost gratitude. We had a guy who got saved about six years ago, and when he got out of the baptistry, he said, now God, my whole life is a big thank you card to God. Isn't that great? That's the way I want to live. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and he said, Go show yourself to the priests. And as they went... They were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This was a man who was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. This unnamed town, this unnamed village, we don't even know this man's name. We don't know the men's name, but we do know the one who is the name above all names who healed these men, and one came back. I love this story. We may have heard this one before, but I hope as we look into the text, there's something different. There's something new that God wants to bring out of this Horrific story about the skin disease called leprosy, Hansen's disease. In fact, in the Old Testament, this is something that unfortunately was very familiar, even among the people of Israel. Miriam was afflicted with leprosy, and God healed her. Naaman was also afflicted in the Old Testament with Hansen's disease, and God healed him. In the New Testament, there was a man you might remember by the name of Simon. Jesus healed him of leprosy and then came to his house to have a meal. The house was packed with people who heard that Jesus could heal. 
It was 1981 that they discovered the cure for Hansen's disease. That's why today, sitting in our context, what's the big deal with leprosy? We really haven't seen that. We really haven't been around that. But back in the day, think about this. 3,500 years of people with leprosy that was absolutely incurable. It was a hideous disease. It was a skin disease that caused the nerve endings within fingers and toes and without the body, inside the body that went dead. So not only did they experience pain, but they, couldn't ex- they could not experience the loss of that pain because their nerves were going dead. I, I think the, the most horrific thing about leprosy as described is isolation. They couldn't go to work. They couldn't socialize. They couldn't worship. They couldn't interact with family members. Yet Jesus sees their condition. He hears their cry. And what I love about this is he gives them compassion. He gives them compassion. In Leviticus 13 and 14, it was very specific in the Old Testament. When someone had leprosy, there were specific rules and guidelines and protocol that lepers had to follow. The rules for leprosy was they could not be within a certain distance, 50 paces away from anyone else. They could not literally go into the temple to offer sacrifices. They couldn't go in to a synagogue. They couldn't worship God with other believers of the Jewish faith. They were not able to interact with anyone in society. Their hair literally was unkempt on purpose. Their clothes were on purpose disheveled. They were socially distant to the max, but they had to cry out every time they were within 50 paces of anyone, unclean, unclean. I think that's probably the greatest pain of the leper is total isolation. Now, here's the question I have with all of this in context, that Jesus comes to this place that we don't know where it is, probably because it wasn't named on the map because... It wasn't of any prominence, kind of like Barstow. You just go through it, go around it, right? Jesus went to Barstow, and there were people that were hurting there. These 10 men were hurting. They had no place else to go, no place to be, other than they heard that Jesus was coming into their town. What what, what intrigues me about this and the questions that I have, why did God have so many rules about the leper? We have to remember that God's bigger picture, whenever he set rules and laws for the people back in the day before Jesus came to earth, which we celebrate his birth at Christmas time, is that he had one goal. He had to protect Israel. And so if the lepers were to get into the camp, if you will, and infect other people, there would be a massive outbreak. And God's plan of Jesus being born into the world would be affected by that. So that's why God said he did not say to the leper, you can't socialize, you can't worship, you can't go near anybody because you're stricken with this because of your sin. It was unfortunate, it was horrific, it was terrible, but Jesus had to protect Israel because Jesus was coming through Israel's plan, God's plan for Israel and the entire human race. Does that make sense? So Jesus hears their cry, he hears their pain, He's with them in their suffering. And when it says that they cried out, Master, they understood that Jesus was Lord over all. They understood this man is different. There's something about him. He's our only hope. You know, in life, the best place to be sometimes is at the end of your rope when all you can say is, Jesus, you're my only hope. You're my only hope. You're my only hope. When we come into a place like this and we worship, 
When we give our heart to God, when we sing to him, I, I, I'm always, I've got to be here. Before that first note is played, it's not because I'm here giving the message. I have to be here because I owe God my worship. He's been so good to me. I want to worship God. My wife and I were watching Aria Grande concert on YouTube late one night. What an incredible voice. I mean, this woman sings like an angel. But what I was noticing about her concert is like, I just started in my spirit. I just, I just started praying for her. Lord, I pray that Jesus, you would ambush her with your love, that you bring some Christian people around her. Think about that angelic, just amazing, that purity, that voice that she has if she was singing to you, God. Well, one of the things I saw in her concert is people are on their feet. They're not sitting on their chairs. They're waving hands. They're singing. They're holding hands. They're doing this. And I'm like, Lord, if your people came in to worship, like this, God, if we sing from our heart because we love you with all of our heart, we are so filled with gratitude, God. Think about how we would be changed. Think about how God would move more, I believe, freely the way that we want him to do spiritual healings and miracles and God breaking through in the problems of our world and most importantly, meeting the very need that you and I have, the deep, the depth of our heart, the cry that we have. Jesus hears every single one of those. When we praise God, it, it opens up the heavens. It opens up the heavenlies. It, it opens up a portal for God to do amazing things. And I'm not saying that God always does what we want him to do, but he always does what he wants to do, and we know what he wants to do is always best for us. Always. They cried out to God. The ones with no name came to the one who is above every name, that's all they knew. Man, that one right there is enough for me to go home on. It doesn't matter if anybody knows my name. I want everybody in our city to know his name because his name is great. Here's a question I have. When you have something in your heart that's bothering you, that's plaguing you, that's, that's at the depths of your spirit that nobody else knows of, how willing are you to get what wherever you possibly can be to bring your desperation before God. God, if you could fit it into your schedule, I have this problem. And if you could fix it, that'd be really cool in Jesus' name. I, I, I think there was something more in these 10 men when they came and it says they fell at the feet of Jesus. The one that came back fell at his feet. They were crying out, God, we need you. We have no place else to go. In Psalm 57 too, it says, I cried out to the most high God, to the God who fulfills his purpose for me. Psalm 34, 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Psalm 50, verse 15. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. God wants to hear the depth of your heart. God wants you to lay it all out. Sometimes life is messy. Sometimes life is scary. Our lives, our, our families, our marriages, our single life, business, whatever it might be, school, wherever we are, life sometimes is messy. And God wants us to bring the mess to him exactly how it is. We were sitting with someone a few months ago who said, well, before I receive Christ, before I get baptized, man, I got to clean some things up. I said, no, you, don't, you can't clean enough up. You just come to Jesus with your mess, and he will begin to clean it up. So what do you want from God? 
If, if, if Jesus were to materialize here in, in physical form, what is it that you, you get one thing? What would you ask for him, from him? I would venture to guess that 99.9% of us would not ask for the bigger house or the new car. We would, Lord, heal my daughter. Lord, fix my, my, the in, inside of where I am. Why do I keep going to the things of the world that keep leaving me empty, God. I want to go solely to you. God, heal my heart of the pain. God, heal my heart of these things that happen that I still walk around with, God. I need you. Help me, God. I cry out to you. The greatest prayer I think that Peter prayed was, help. I'm sinking. God, I absolutely need you. I have no place to go. These, these, these that were stricken with Hansen's disease had no place to go but God. And here's the thing that I love. God knows and God cares. The danger of isolation, I think, is greater than the risk of intimacy. I'd rather die begging and screaming and crawling and trying and grasping at everything I can from God than to just wait on the sidelines and, well, maybe something will happen. So go show yourself to the priest. Can you see them? The ten had asked. They cried out. Go show yourself to the priest. I want you to notice that in the text, it does not say that Jesus healed them immediately. Did you notice that? Go show yourself to the priest. Why would he do that? Remember that Jesus yet hadn't died on the cross. He had not risen. So they're technically still under Old Testament law. If there was ever any question about somebody's health, they were stricken with something that might infringe on the camp of Israel. They had to go to the priest and follow Leviticus 13 and 14. The the priests were kind of the um, medical, um, they were the ones that um, determined whether somebody was able to go back into a camp because of a physical ailment. And so these ones, these were the checker, Checkers at the checker point. These were the ones that approved or disapproved. Now, why I think Jesus is so awesome. He tells them to go to the priest. Who were the ones? Remember, we've been through the gospel of Luke. Who were the ones that were constantly against Jesus? Constantly adversarial toward him. It was the religious world, the religious leaders. So Jesus sends them to the, high, or to the, the priests of their particular town Because he knows that on their way, they're going to get healed. And he wants the priest to be the very first one to verify the healing. Isn't God wonderful? I I, I love Jesus' ways. He's just, he's always on point. He's always on mission. And who would be the ones that would be the most reluctant to verify somebody's healing? It would be the priests. Because they didn't like Jesus. They hated Jesus. They wanted to entrap him. They wanted to discredit him. They wanted to do everything they can to tear down his credibility. Jesus wanted the leaders to know who was the master healer. Verse 14, on their way, they were cleansed. Here's what I want to just encourage us with. If he could do it for them, he can do it for you. If he could do it for them, he can do it for us. Anyone got a problem here? Anyone have an issue why, why is it that I go, when I have an issue, I will go to someone in the flesh, I will go to someone first and try to figure it out or get some advice, and they'll throw in kind of a quick prayer rather than running to Jesus first 
And God could send me to someone or he could send someone into my life that God is speaking through. But why is it that I go to Jesus later when he should be the very first one that we should go to when we have an issue? If he could do it for them, he can do it for you. Whatever the problem is, whatever the stronghold is, whatever the issue is, God can do it, which leads us to his compassion. I love the compassion of Jesus. In Matthew 14, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion. And watch this. He healed them all. Mark chapter 1. Having compassion, he stretched out his hand and he healed him. Jesus saw her in Luke chapter 7. Having compassion, said, dear woman, don't cry. In Matthew chapter 15, he says, I have compassion on them. They have been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. In Matthew 20, Jesus says, he has compassion on them and he touched their eyes and they were healed. Compassion is not just a deep feeling or emotion. Here's, here's what, in the original language, what compassion really means. And Jesus is the one that shows compassion and how we also have been gifted with the same spirit that brings us to a place of understanding where somebody else is. That, that word actually means, means that he took their misery upon himself, Amen. taking it away from them and making it his own. That changes my whole perspective about how I view people. I'm so sorry you're hurting. I'll pray for you. I hope it goes okay for you. And it might be very sincere, and that might be the first step. And as believers, Christ followers, I believe we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus and be there for folks. And, but what Jesus is, if you really want to go deep with me, Jesus says, if you really want to follow me and know my ways and, and, and walk with me and know my Holy Spirit power, and if, if you really want to know the, the euphoric experience of following me and, and never know really what's going to happen next, not only do I want you to climb into somebody else's pain, but I want to ask you to take it upon your own. That's huge. That's different. Would you agree with me? We're not going to get any compassion out there. This should be the greatest place of compassion is his people, our family, our church, our brothers and sisters. When you see someone that's hurting, when you hear about somebody that's hurting, God may be calling you, first of all, number one, to pray, but secondly, to step in and climb into their pain their heartache, their distress. And sometimes people just need someone to sit with them. I'll be honest with you. That it's sometimes, you know, we, we get to do this full time with you. Our, our role as pastors is to help equip you so we all get to do this together out there where people have heartache and pain, Right? But when sometimes people come with a problem, and you know this, your mind will start one, two, three, four. If you just give one, two, three things to do, it'll just fix the problem. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think first, people want to be heard. People want to know that somebody genuinely cares about them. And that's exactly what Jesus did. When it's, we read over these Bible words like compassion and empathy, 
And what it really means is that the, 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 the insides of Jesus were wretched. That word compassion actually means the inner parts of your stomach. Jesus felt the pain of someone else. And Jesus did something about it. He personally is involved and he's personally involved with you. He knows the deep things that are inside here that nobody else knows. Nobody else knows. He knows all of that. And he says, I care for you. I am with you. I will never leave you. I understand. Jesus understands everything that we feel. How? They go to the priest. They do exactly what Jesus said, which is incredible to me. They had to have faith in this context to do what Jesus told them to do. I don't know about you, but if I was there asking for this healing, knowing all of the social stigma and worship and all the stuff that I could not do, um, Jesus, I'll go to the priest, but could you fix it first? Right? He doesn't do that. He asks them to obey and trust. And they do. And it says they were all cleansed. They were all healed. Now, you're going to a great movie. It's good. Avatar, 3D, right? IMAX. You can't wait to get in. You and your best friend go in. Closest friend. And you come out of the theater. Man, that was awesome. It was so good. Let's grab a cup of coffee. Let's just hang for a little bit and talk about it. And you go to Starbucks or somewhere. And now it's about 10, 11 o'clock at night. You walk out from your uh, place where you were and you get he- uh, heading towards the car. And as you're walking towards the car, there's a couple of guys that come up. And this, something doesn't feel right. And immediately one of them says, Let's go. Give me your wallet. Give me your watch. Everything. Give me everything right now. And he's got a gun and he's got it pointed right at you. And you're like, of course, here, take everything. My life is not worth my money. Take everything. And as you do that, there's a nervous thing that happens, and the wallet and your purse spills out onto the pavement, and your credit cards go flying out. Now he's mad. He's really mad. He's ticked off, and his hand is shaking. He's got his finger on the trigger. Your closest friend sees you right there, and he sees this is going to happen. And right before he pulls it, and he sees his finger trembling Right there, and he jumps in front of the bullet before he pulls the trigger, and your friend takes the hit for you. He or she falls down to the ground in the pool of their own blood. You're freaking out. I can't believe this just happened. 911, the ambulance gets there, and unfortunately, your friend passes away. What would be your response? Thank you. Um, I, I, I really, that even is too trite even to say that in this moment, if that was something that really happened. The second thing you probably would do is immediately go to their spouse's home, if they had children, and you would say, I, I, I have to tell you, your, your husband, your wife, and most heroic thing I have ever seen, you're in tears, you're a mess, and all you can do is throw your arms around them and say they're the most active, biggest act of courage I've ever... They gave their life. Your response would be, I can never pay it back. But if there's anything that I can do, here's what I want to do for you for the rest of my life. I am committed. I am devoted to whatever you need. If it's helping you pay for your mortgage, if it's helping your kids through college, whatever it is, I am devoted. I am committed. No one said, you need to go over and do that. You just did that. Are you with me? 
It comes down from in the depths of your soul. That's following Jesus. It's not have to, should, we have to go to this class. Now that you completed this, go to this next thing. And you have to do, because I have to do those things. I want to do those things. I want to show the acts of compassion because God had compassion on me. That, those lepers were just like me. That is really in the Old Testament a type of, of, of sentence, an analogy that we are all lepers before God. And when they're not, we've cried out to him is where we find the healing. But the interesting thing, the really cool thing about this text is there were, as you know, one came back. And one came back to do what? Say, thank you. I don't think it was like, well, thanks a lot, Jesus. See you around. His, his, his whole being, like that one guy said, my whole life is thank you to God now. Everything I am, God is yours. And it says that he fell at his feet when you fell at your feet back in the day and someone else's feet, you fell at their feet. That means you are the person, highest person of honor. I worship you. I adore you. You are Lord. You are master of my whole life. He was really saying, I worship you. That's the attitude that God is wanting from us. Why? Well, I have to go to church. I have to watch online. I should give my money to God. I should do this. I should share the gospel. I should. If it's a bunch of should-haves, that's no fun. right? Who wants to be married with, I have to, I should, I ought to. You love them and you want to do good. Even when you don't feel like you love them, you do what is right and the feeling comes back. And the same thing with our relationship with Jesus Christ. A lot of us are waiting for God to do something. And God is waiting on you. He's waiting on me to show acts of kindness and compassion to someone. And we're not just saying small acts. We're saying I am, my whole life is involved in your pain. That, that's really where we are stretched to the max. And that's where we find Jesus in that moment. That's where we find him. I, I wonder what was happening when this was happening around the people that were listening to Jesus weeks after this Scenario, we probably, we estimate maybe Jesus had two, two and a half months left before he knew on his way to Jerusalem, passing through Barstow, he comes, knows he's going to the cross. He knows that his earthly life is coming to an end and he always had time for someone that was hurting. So what do we do out of all this? What, what is all this about? If God could do it for him, he can do it for you. He can he can deliver you. He can free you. He can break the chains off of maybe someone here is just struggling with some kind of addiction or pain that won't go away or trauma that happened. We talked last week about Jesus taught us how to forgive. And I just, I'm struggling with all that. God, I need to be freed of this. Cry out to him. You, you get alone in your prayer closet or you drive down the 55 wherever you need to be where nobody can hear you. Get out on the side of the, the road and, God, I can't do this without you. I need you, God. Help me, God. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, my wife was going through a series of illnesses and they didn't know exactly what was going on. She went from doctor to doctor to doctor. This was like seven months. Literally at Hogue Hospital, I had to leave the ER where my wife was sitting there, walked out way on the other side of the parking lot, I know somebody heard me because when I looked back over there, what is this nut doing? I said, God, why aren't you helping us? Why aren't you helping us? Someone once told me, God has big enough shoulders to handle my frustration. He's not threatened by that. 
here's, here's my two cents on this. The more that you get real with him and cry out to him, the closer he comes to you. There's a, a place of intimacy with God that only a few find because they're willing to be real with God. That's, that's what I want us to walk away with. Your walk of faith will not always look like someone else's walk. Choose to be thankful. Can I, can I just tell you, I don't do this well. Because I grew up in an era in the 80s, and I grew up in this place where I think everybody owed me. I grew up with a sense of entitlement. I deserve this. I should get this. Things should come easy for me. And so so I forget sometimes to say, God, I just want to say thank you that you never stop loving me. And so if we have to write it down, if we have to journal it, if we have to, you know, paste it on the front of our our, our dash on the car or just as as a reminder on my phone, be thankful today for five things. For five things, Lord, I'm going to be thankful to you. And what that does is that sends the heart, that sets the heart in motion. Now I get to see, God, how you see people. Your walk of faith will not always look like someone else's walk. Can I just say that the trap is comparing ourselves with somebody else? And that's, that's hard to do because we see in the here and now. We see somebody else's walk, and I want it to be their walk. How come I can't pray like them? How come I can't see God? You move like they move. You move in them. Stop. God has a specific walk for you, and he just wants you to hear the call. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.